This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. May 1st marks the beginning of Mental Health Awareness Month. Mental illnesses can manifest in innumerable ways, from deep depression to hallucinations to mania. And these symptoms can be aggravated or alleviated depending on the environment that surrounds us. In this week's story, teller Michelle Yang shares how she worked to navigate not only her mental illness, but also the many moments that strengthened its hold on her and how she found her way to a happy ending. Recorded live in February, 2022, Second Story is proud to present How a Fat Asian with Bipolar Found Love. Fat. Seems like something I always was. Taking up more space than a girl ought to. Certainly more space than an Asian girl ought to. My dad, Baba in Mandarin said, your baby fat will melt away when you're older. Then you will be beautiful. But that didn't happen for me. After we immigrated from Korea when I was nine, I gained more weight. From the school lunches, puberty, and junk food we ate at home while my parents worked long hours. By the time I was 16, Baba treated my weight like an international crisis. Eat only until you're eight-tenths full, never all the way full. Which meant I was always hungry. You're my Snow White, he'd say lovingly. Then jab, because miniature. On a rare visit back to Korea, I was crossing a crowded street arm in arm with my beloved grandmother, my Lolo, when an old man I didn't know stopped me. No, you need to lose weight, he admonished. I retorted with all the sass I could muster. He didn't expect this insubordination. He was speechless. As soon as the snark left my mouth, though, I worried about my Lolo, hoping I hadn't embarrassed her. But when I looked to her, she merely chuckled in her good-natured way. I loved her more than ever. Immigrating to a country where no one in my family had ever been before, where none of us spoke the language, was traumatic. As soon as I learned English, age 12, I became the translator for my parents for everything from talking to the landlord, phone companies, doctor's visits, on top of my own mounting academic pressures. But failure was never an option. Do you see my hand? Baba unwrapped the bandage and held his melting flesh, shiny with ointment, up to my face. Do you see my swollen ankles? Do you see how hard I'm working for you? Baba trembled. This cannot be for nothing. You must don't go for me and your mother. Become someone we can be proud of, a doctor or a lawyer. My parents left white-collar lives in Korea for the brutal restaurant industry in the U.S., Baba never let me forget the sacrifice, even though it wasn't my choice. But no matter how good my grades were or how hard I was working at the restaurant, by being fat, 
I was failing every moment of my life. I was not someone he could be proud of. My mental health deteriorated further, but Baba worried word would get out about my struggles if we told anyone then no college would accept me, no matter how good my grades, and later no one would marry me. My life would be over. At 20 years old, I'm finally diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And with the new medication, I gain over 30 pounds. Fast forward to age 25, I'm a college graduate established in my first professional job, but I still had never dated anyone. I want more than anything to feel love, which seems like the epitome of normalcy, of fitting in. The first person who ever shows any interest in me, I find on Craigslist personals. Late one Saturday, he appears on my doorstep like he did on most weekends at the house I share with two grad school roommates. I can't spend the night today, he said. I have to go to the office later. This was unusual, but I didn't think anything of it. When he fell asleep after midnight, I didn't see the need to wake him. Around seven the next morning, he shot up in bed. Shit, 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 what time is it? My phone died, why didn't you wake me? I have to go. What, why, I muttered, wiping sleep from my eyes. He didn't answer me. Instead, he gathered his things in a panic and sprinted out the front door. He made it to the end of the driveway before turning back. Can I borrow your phone? I'll bring it back in a few hours. Without a word, I handed it over. That evening, my phone, which he had dropped off, rang from a number I didn't recognize. Hi, this is Grace Lee. Grace Lee, whom he swore up and down was just a platonic out-of-town friend, whom he introduced me to at his last birthday, the time I asked him why she was taking a shower in his apartment with her suitcase, bra and panties strewn about his bed, that Grace Lee was calling me? She says, he was supposed to come back last night to take me to the airport in the morning. I was staying at his place. He called me so many times. Yeah, his phone died. He slept here. Grace says, I can't believe him. He told me he borrowed the office security guard's phone, but I knew that was a lie. And I told him you couldn't stay with him as long as he and I were together. You're still together? She asks. Yeah, at least we were for over two years now. Grace sighed. He told me you broke up a year ago when we started seeing each other. Grace and I calmly connected the dots, filling each other in, letting the betrayal saturate the distance between us. As awkward as the situation was, we were both smart enough to know who to direct our anger toward. 
we'd both been played. He must have felt like such hot shit juggling the two of us. That mousy little tech guy. I didn't think he had it in him. I wasn't particularly angry. That part came later. My overwhelming sense was that of finality. I was done. In that moment of clarity, I flashed back to a sunny summer day when I was a little girl in Korea wearing a blue floral dress. We were going to the pier. And I was squirming in my seat with excitement when my little brother suddenly called out, look, it's second uncle. Baba's older brother was in the white sedan next to us at a red light. A pretty young woman in a sundress similar to mine was sitting next to him. A pretty young woman who is not my second aunt, the mother to his three teenage children. Don't look, Baba shouted. I'm sure second uncle spotted us already. But I sneaked a peek anyway. Second uncle and his lady friend sat rigid and stared straight ahead. We are not going to the pier, Baba declared. That's where they're going. My little brother wailed. Cheating seemed so common, expected even, especially for powerful men. And I promised myself at that moment that I would never let anyone cheat on me. And that was that. I had to break the cycle. You see, I was always daddy's little girl. I had believed, as I was told, that no man would ever love me as much as my father. But I allowed my ex to tease me about my weight, pinch my belly rolls, because my father, who loves me, had. I allowed him to pressure me to lose weight because my father, who loves me, had. I allowed him to pressure me. I, I allowed him my ex to bruise my body because my father, who loves me, had. I thought this was what love looks like when someone really cares. It took him cheating to make me realize that this could not be love, that I had to end all the abusive cycles, that it was up to me to love myself best to redefine my idea of love. A handful of years later, in a dusty makeshift dressing room, I marvel at my reflection in an old standing mirror. For the first time, both my hair and my makeup is done professionally. The stylist calls this look the fresh-faced bride. <laughs> I can't believe I'm pulling it off. For so long, I did not think I would ever be worthy of love, of happiness. No, not a girl like me who would never be thin enough, demure enough, or sane enough. The message had been clear. Women like me didn't deserve pretty dresses, let alone true love. 
but they were wrong. I am beautiful in that big white dress. And the partner of my dreams, who can't wait to marry me, is standing outside. And on that day, over 10 years ago now, when our hilarious eight-year-old child and beloved dogs were merely a sweet dream on the horizon, my clever drummer partner and I promise to love and support each other until puppies stop being adorable and music stops being awesome. This story was produced by Jenna Myers, curated by Arlena McLaurin, and directed by Grace Doldazal Ng, with music and sound design by Mariana Green. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Rich Dage Treehouse Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is, is the Second, Second Story Podcast.